to Full Service Radio. Full Service Radio. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service. Full Service Radio. Welcome to Beer Me on Full Service Radio, broadcasting live from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. I'm your host, Sarah Jane. I live, work, and love beer here in D.C. During my time in culinary school, I gained an appreciation for good beer. I continued my studies in beer at grad school at NYU. Since then, I have been a beer director, beer bar general manager, and I get to continue to explore the beer world with all of you wonderful listeners. Each week, I will have a different guest from different parts of the beer world, from brewers, importers, bartenders, educators, to help us explore this fascinating and dynamic world. Whether you are new to beer or a seasoned professional, we will have something for you. So I am joined today, I'm very excited about this, uh, by Kim Bender. She is the director of the Hyrick House uh, Brewmaster's Castle in DuPont Circle. Uh, A few would say no a month ago uh, I got the great privilege of having a private tour uh, with Kim of this really really amazing museum that's right in the center of DuPont Um, it's one of those things that you know it's there and you know you should go (laughs) and is in true you know DC resident fashion you never actually do it Um, but here to kind of talk all about it and you know give us an idea of, of what uh, this museum is all about. We have Kim. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I love that I get to be on this awesome program that I've been hearing so much about. And uh, it's, it's really um, having the museum be part of the local craft beer scene as we've grown over the years has been a real privilege. We and I were just talking about the community um, of local craft beer in D.C. being such a warm, welcoming, um, lovely group of people. Um, and then on top of that, it's so important, I think, to the character of what what makes Washington, D.C. special. Um, just And it's been a privilege to watch the industry grow. We When I actually walked into the museum... Um, about 2010, 2011, it was right before any local breweries had even opened. And so I got to meet Mari and Jeff from DC Brow mm-hmm. um, just as they were opening their brewery. And we've gotten to be part of it. And that's been pretty awesome. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we were, we're incredibly spoiled here in DC yeah. as far as the community goes. I, I mean, in general, you see brewers kind of coming together, doing collaborations, stuff like that, things that you don't typically see in other beverage uh, categories. But I think in D.C. we definitely have something special for sure. Yeah, I think um, it's been my favorite part of my job, you know, is that part of the com- or you really mainly all local business um, People, I think, and I think it st- it stretches outside even beer. It's like the local um, creative economy. We talk about the creative economy all the time. The local um, homegrown businesses. Yeah, there's something about it, especially in the federal city where everything is so focused on the government. And so I think it forces people to become closer, almost. Yeah. So, I and, and for listeners who are not familiar, can you give them an idea of? Um, you know, the, the owner of the brewery, uh, Christian Hyrick, and kind of 
how he came to be and, and why this is a significant space. Sure. So the Heyrich House Museum, as you said, is in DuPont Circle. Mm-hmm. It is um, the historic home of Christian Heyrich. So it's not where he brewed his beer. It's mm-hmm. where he lived with his family. Um, they built the house in 1894. Um, but Heyrich himself had grown up in Germany. His parents were tavern keepers. He grew up brewing beer with them. Beer was part of his life from birth, probably. Um, and then he moved, after wandering around Europe apprenticing, he moved to the United States in 1866 after the Civil War. And then eventually landed in Washington in 1872. He's first in Baltimore he with was. his sister. Correct. Okay. Good remembering. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> you can give the tour now. Um, no. So... Do you want me to tell you more about the yes. details of the yeah. history? Kind of talk, I want to, you know, kind of get an understanding of, of why he was so important. Mm-hmm. But I think also, you know, we can talk about why the house is just so significant as mm-hmm. far as all the kind of new, uh, new age for that time, yeah. uh, things that were built into it. So, I mean... At the base of it all, Hyrick seems to have been, I didn't know him, but mm-hmm. he seems to have been from all we can see, a very unique guy um, who sort of lived his life the way he wanted to. And he learned lessons. Um, and we know this because we have autobiographies and we have diaries and things. So he, he seems to have gone through life experiencing you know, troubles, as everyone does, his maybe a little bit more. Um, and learned from those mistakes and always kept growing based on those um, learning experiences mm-hmm. in a way that I think propelled him into this position of success in business at Washington. So, um, for instance, he always told this story about how when he came over here from Germany, he was on a ship from Liverpool and um, he knew from his life in Germany and traveling around and working at breweries that you do not drink the water um, where you don't know where the water's coming from. So mm-hmm. he drank beer on that ship. Everybody got sick with cholera except for him. Oof. So he's talked about, you know, that was this big lesson for him. He, um, so he apprenticed around, and when he came here, he brought all of that knowledge here. Um, and when he opened his brewery, I think just kept introducing the, the things that he had learned like he he introduced he t- he bought a brewery here that was brewing wheat beer he changed it to lager beer um which was one key to his success here mm-hmm. people were really into the lager beer when the germans brought it and and just to clarify when when you say lager beer we're talking pre-prohibition lager beer so yes. for those of you who might be new to beer uh, when we say American lager nowadays, what comes to mind is, you know, very bland, very fizzy, uh, very, very mild, quote unquote, beer. <laughs> Pre-prohibition lager was far more flavorful, far more robust, um, very um, malty and, and rich in flavor. Uh, so it's a very different kind of uh, experience. And lagering is really a process, mm-hmm. right? So you're brewing beer at lower temperatures for a longer period of time. It just produces a different kind of beer. <clears throat> so um, although we think of, and we can, you know, that's part of the story too. We think of Budweiser as the lager, right? But 
that's just because that what after prohibition when no breweries reopened really Mm -hmm. they they cornered the market and actually we should give them a little bit of credit because they figured out a process that made every single beer you drink taste exactly the same they really (laughs) standardized something which is probably a very difficult thing to do for sure um we might not think it's like the best beer in the whole world now but at the time it was sort of innovative and unfortunately has defined what lager means because it's all that existed for 50 years after prohibition and now that craft um you know the craft beer world is blowing up and we talk a lot now about how like it's the year of the lager it's the time of the lager (laughs) the dc um, brewers guild really um capitalized that during beer week oh yeah they kicked off with lager fest which was a great success congratulations to those guys i think that was really cool to see you know what does a craft lager look like or what does it look like in mass when everybody's showing (laughs) you what they can do and so, sorry, so for those of you just tuning in, uh, I'm sitting down with Kim Bender. She is the director of the Hyrick House Brewmaster's Castle in DuPont Circle here in Washington, D.C. Uh, so kind of getting back to Christian. Yeah, we, we, we got <laughs> off. It's fine. We're, it's yeah. cool. You know, you can do whatever you want. It's a podcast, right? Okay. We can curse, you know. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so, um, but kind of getting back to Christian Hyrick, he was incredibly impressive to me. Um and some things that stood out, especially during the tour, was that he had the longest operating brewery right. um, from 1872 to 1956. Um, well, we, I haven't actually confirmed it's the longest brewery mm-hmm. that operated in the United States, but he was definitely the oldest brewer when he died. He died at, what, one, he was 102, almost 103, yeah. still going down to, the, up to two weeks before he died, he was still going to the brewery. Um, and he was the largest... Uh, the largest non-governmental yeah. employer and actually landowner, we think, in the city during yeah. his time. He was a household name, so he would have been um, like D.C. Brow mm-hmm. is here today. Um and actually, DC Brow released uh, a beer um, two years ago, right? 2016? I think the first year we released it was 2014. Okay. But it was small. Yeah. Um, Hyrex Lager. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, Hyrex Lager. So, um, yeah, that was a collaboration of sorts between, among us, um, and Lost Loggers, which I don't mm-hmm. know if you've talked to those guys yet. They've but, come on the show, for yeah. sure. Mike Stein was on the show. He did a fantastic yep. job. And Peter Jones, the mm-hmm. two of them together, um, came up with... Hyrix, a lot of Hyrix, um, Hyrix... Part of the reason why the house is still in existence, and mm-hmm. it's like a time capsule inside, they saved everything. So Hyrix had saved all of the receipts for his hops and mall in these scrapbooks that are now in the national archives oh wow and mike and pete went and looked them up and were able to basically reverse engineer pre the pre-prohibition version of hyrix lager which was one of their flagship brands that existed almost Mm -hmm. the entire time the brewery may have been the entire time the brewery existed the label changed a lot over the years yeah but um and maybe the recipe did too we don't actually know that but so we brewed um we've brewed that a few times or dc brow has brewed that a few times um we just lend the name um and 
uh, last year was the most recent time that they released it and and we've canned it a few times which is really fun um, so that people seem to really enjoy that and the connection to history in the city and to be able to actually taste something that may have tasted like what you would have had at the turn of the century and Mike and Pete do a great job going around and doing that all over the place trying to revive old beer recipes and brands yeah and they do a lot of really great classes I uh I have to reach out to them soon and see what classes are coming up but definitely uh take a look they typically have classes at the hill center yep um down right near eastern market so if anyone is interested in you know, doing classes on typically home brewing and reviving certain kind of historically significant styles. Definitely check that out. They have a website too, where I think they list all the stuff that they're up to and where you can go hear them talk and taste their, they just did one during DC beer week with right proper. Yeah. So definitely, definitely check out lost loggers. Um, so yeah, this, this guy, Christian Heyrich is really fascinating to me. Um, just because I, I feel like he, uh, you know, really tried to, <laughs> he tried his best, you know? <laughs> and, um, the thing that struck me during the tour that you gave me was that um, you had all these, you had this one room where there were, you know, old photos and, and old records, but there was an award that he had received from his employees. Yeah, he had a lot of, they had a very, um, it seems, a very rich um we would call it business culture now, mm-hmm. an internal sort of employee culture. Um, the brewery, and we didn't really talk about this yet, but the the brewery um, was kind of near the hit. The first iteration of it was kind of near where his house is, the in Dupont Circle. But then they built a state of the art brewery facility in eighteen opened in eighteen ninety five. And on the site where the Kennedy Center is now. Mm-hmm. And there they actually had in a gymnasium for employees and they would have shows. They would have a German-American Day celebration. Um, the th- I think what you're talking about is we have an exhibit up just through the end of the month um, with items both from our collection and that are on loan from the Historical Society of Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, that really talk about his quote-unquote reputation. And he was a very good self-promoter that's kind of (laughs) at the end of the day I think what it's about and um there were awards from his employees um he also in turn gave they gave out um anniversary pins to employees for you know how long they had been five year pins ten year pins um and we have a whole um sort of handout from his I believe it was 100th birthday. They did a celebration and talked about, you know, how great of a boss he was and how great of a guy he was. And there's a lot of that material um, that probably reflects how people did think of him, but also reflects how great they were at capturing that stuff and pushing it out to the world. Like there were commercials, you know, celebrating his birthday on the radio and there were um, ads taken out in the paper, like, they used it yeah. to their advantage. Social media. <laughs> early, right. early, early social early, media. Early social media. Uh, well, we're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with Kim Bender from the Hyrick House Brewmaster's Castle here on Beer Me.
Welcome back to Beer Me, recording live at the Line Hotel on Full Service Radio. My name is Sarah Jane, and today our guest is Kim Bender. She is the director of the Heyrich House, Brewmaster's Castle. We're talking all about Christian Heyrich, um, the really amazing local brewer back in the day. Back in the day. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about the house a little bit. Yep. Um, right in DuPont Circle, it is incredible to me i mean this was like it's a time capsule because everything is so everything was kept yeah and it looks like you know the the drawing room or the dining room you know is set up in a way that it looks like nothing's been moved for years just you know it's been cleaned (laughs) it has been just clean i mean some of it hasn't even been cleaned (laughs) some of the walls are still needing some some assistance (laughs) but um it is sort of uh, I mean, it is 100% a time capsule, and mm-hmm. it's for so many different random circumstances that it has ended up continuing to exist today. Built, as I said, it was built in 1894, 1892 to 1894. <clears throat> um, it was the first quote-unquote fireproof house in Washington, D.C., and that, along those lines, like what you had mentioned earlier, so much of... Um, the technology that was built into the house is state of the art for 1894. So we mm-hmm. have all of the lights are electric or combination gas and electric fixtures, and they're still there. Yeah. You know, he never replaced them after gas disappeared. Um, there are call bell systems and um, intercom systems, and there is central vacuum and hot and cold running water through all five floors of the house, um, central heat, forced air. And a lot of these things were brand new. Um, I think that we talk a lot about how it was the smart house of its time, but I also think it's very interesting that they never upgraded the technology after really... I mean, there are a couple additions, like the central vacuum system was a later addition. They upgraded the mm-hmm. heating system once, but um, you know, no one thought to like replace the light fixtures. Or yeah. um, He basically, once it was built, it was their home, and they, that was it. And very little was done to change it internally during those times. Um, a couple additions, but it's basically what it looked like in 1894. And then... Um, So that's why it still looks like, you know, they never upgraded. And then in 1956, when Mrs. Hyrick died, she had left the house to the D.C. Historical Society in her will. And so they moved in in 1956 and were there till 2003. And although they made some changes, Mm -hmm. um, meaning like some of the walls have been painted over, Mm -hmm. um, mostly didn't do anything like the woodwork is exactly perfectly the same there's no paint over there's so much wood in the house um all of it's exactly in its original condition they even kept the first floor as a museum using like keeping all the furniture that had been on the first floor so um it's sort of you know them being there and then the hierarchs never changing anything and saving everything um sort of by 2003 it was still all there and in 2003 the historical society left um and the family created us the nonprofit organization that we are the Hyrick family and mm-hmm. the Hyrick family helped us purchase the building and then at that point even more stuff came back into the house that had originally left when mrs Hyrick died 
you know, the kids were allowed to take some stuff. Yeah. So once they came back onto the scene, we got more furniture. Like sometimes one of the grandchildren, Jan, who was instrumental in saving the house in 2003, she'll just bring us boxes of stuff. And so all of a sudden we'll have new diaries and new um, photographs or new scrapbooks. And, wow. Yeah. So my favorite room uh, is down in the basement. And it is uh, the Beer Stuba. Yeah, it's his. It's his. It's 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 amazing. So this is uh, Christian's like drinking room. Like mm-hmm. this is where the his, beer drinking. Room. Yeah, the beer drinking room. And there's as this, one has, <laughs> as everyone should have. <laughs> um, but you know, there's this beautiful like bar, uh, hand like wood carved bar nice big table for drinking and playing cards and um, all these different areas to store different steins and stuff like that. There was like a very clear place where they would just hook up kegs. You know, there was like the beer dispensing area. <laughs> it was like, this was like a, this was like a dream. I was like, what? every house should have this. And so I'm assuming this is where he'd have his buddies over and they'd play cards and they'd drink beer or, you know, whatever. That's definitely what it was designed for. Mm-hmm. So there's what you're talking about. There's actually two different sets of furniture in there. Um, the first was the original set that was probably purchased when they first moved in. It looks just like something from a Rathskeller in Germany. It mm-hmm. has like grotesque faces in the chairs. And it's very, um, it's not super fancy, but it's like really cool. <laughs> um, and then... And I don't know if you remember, also around the walls, there are murals painted on canvas that have different drinking idioms in German. Like, he who has never been drunk is not a good man. And there's, yeah. And there's room in the smallest chamber for the largest hangover. Um, (laughs) So those, those definitely make it feel like you're in some kind of tavern room. And then later on um around during world war one actually he had this other furniture created from his home province in germany that actually like the super intricately carved ones that you're probably thinking of Mm -hmm. with the steins on them yes those all have um on there it's carved um they had carved the people who basically created the province that he was from so the dukes and the duchesses all the historic figures Mm -hmm. um, are carved in there it's like a history lesson for his kids Um, because it later did actually stop becoming his beer drinking room and it became the breakfast room for the kids because he uh, we didn't really talk about this but he had his kids when he was in his early 60s so, really? Yeah. He... Congratulations for him. Good, <laughs> good for him to be a man that he can keep on going till he's 60. Yeah, I mean, he lived to be 102, so he had, like, some time. Congratulations, sir, on your privilege. Yeah. Enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, and the woman who, his wife, Amelia, mm-hmm. who, who was the mother of all the kids, was his third wife. Okay. Because the first two wives had died. You got to get fresh ones, you yeah. know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and poor Amelia. Amelia was 30 years younger than him. Um, Amelia had grown up. Her Actually, her aunt was his first wife. So she had grown up knowing him as Uncle Christian. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so that 
different different times. Different time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she had the kids when he was like in his early sixties. Okay. Which was like for him the joy of his life. He yeah. had, had these other two wives die on him before they had children. It was very sad and yeah. he was very lonely. So yeah, <laughs> <You> seem convinced. <laughs> Oh, wow. It was a different era. Different era. I don't know how much different. How many kids do they have again? They had four, but one of them died when she was an infant, which oh, is really sad. Yeah. But anyway, so when you're 60 and you have three little kids running around, yeah. and the only place to eat is the dining room. You you, you lose you, your man cave. You lose your man and cave. And you make it a breakfast nook. Yep. With a weird... You know, German history lesson carved into the bar. And all these German drinking sayings on the wall. Yeah, I get that. That's yeah, cool. that's you what do, you, you do. do what you got to do. <laughs> uh, for those of you just tuning in, I am uh, sitting down with Kim Bender. She's the director of the Heirich House Brewmaster's Castle. So I want listeners to know how they can get inside the castle, get tours. You all do fantastic events with different breweries. You've transformed the carriage house into... Uh, a studio tell people tell people how to how to get inside so you should go onto our website first mm-hmm. hierichhouse.org it's h-e-u-r-i-c-h is how you spell hierich um and we always have everything that's coming up listed on the landing page but um we're not open we're we're trying we're mm-hmm. we're, we're <laughs> opening more and more and more but um we're not open all the time. Okay. So people should come on a public tour, which are free, suggested donation, $10, <laughs> um, which are Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays, 1130, 1 and 2.30. And you can reserve your spot or you can just walk in, try to walk in. Um, we have, we participate in First Friday um, in DuPont Circle every first Friday of the month. Um, that's a free event. We sell beer and we also always have activities and special guests. And a lot of times we'll have breweries pop by and brewers and, um, or other like musical performances and other things. Um, and then our gallery, which you're talking about, we had just, we have a carriage house in the back that was built in 1906. Um, we just turned the first floor into a gallery. And right now our exhibit is called the art of beer. Mm-hmm. I think you saw that. I did. It was outstanding. It was fun. Yeah. Um, so, so if you could tell the listeners what, what, uh, what that was, what that was all about. So we um, worked with um, four different artists. Um, um, David Cameron Diener, who does the work exclusively for Ocelot. Mm-hmm. Mike Van Hall, who works exclusively for, or mostly exclusively for um, Stillwater and Aslan, and does some work for, has done work for DC Brow. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, Kat, I can't remember her last name. It's okay, you're okay. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, Kat, um, who does all the work for Three Stars. She's the one who came up with the Sugar Skull. Oh, nice. And then... Um, Andy Sides, who um, did the Solidarity beer can this year for mm-hmm. um, DC Beer Week. Oh, bravo! That so was we beautiful. have that like, some little vignettes of their work and and some labels talking about who they are, showing off their beer label work as artwork, mm-hmm. um, which it is. Yeah, um, they're all working artists actually, um, and I just think it's an interesting way to sort of look at <clears throat> what 
you know, a lot of times I think we think of art or people might think of art as like the thing you hang on your wall and you look at. Um, there are a lot of artists, especially who we work with, who are, their work um, relates to products or relates is their artisans that um, their art is commerce, even in a, in a, in a different way than the art on the wall. It actually um, is something you can use. Yeah. Um, and so we're sort of, you know, celebrating them there. And we had an event during DC beer week where they came and talked about their process. And that was really cool. Um, how else can you? We have tons of events. We're having an Oktoberfest coming up. I saw that. You have an Oktoberfest on September 22nd. With Barrett Lauer. Yes. The Lager Man. The Lager Man. <laughs> so um, he's the head brewer for District Chop House, right? Right. Okay. So he's going to come um, do a lead tasting, like a little VIP tasting. And then we're going to open it up just for general admission and people can come. Um, and the tickets are on sale through the website. They are. They're okay. already on sale. The VIP ones are going fast, so get get them. And if you do have questions on Oktoberfest, check out our show from last week uh, with Dimitri Jacaldin of DACA. Oh. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I had to do a shameless plug there. Uh, so I would say, you know, we live in this city where we're incredibly spoiled with all these amazing things to see. And... Uh, this is one of those places that I think people, you know, forget. I mean, I lived here for years and, and it was always on my list of things to do. So definitely, definitely check it out. DC has a really rich and beautiful brewing history. And this is like a perfect little time capsule of that. So, you know, definitely check it out. And I would recommend going on the first Friday because, you know, then there's beer involved. Oh, yeah, that's when you came. Yeah. <laughs> you got to walk into a museum and drink beer. So that's, yeah. you know. A lot of our events involve beer. Yeah. We're, we're Halloween, too. I just remembered. Nice. It's a great, a great one. Well, definitely check out the website. Buy tickets for the Oktoberfest event. Kim, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. And thank you for the tour a couple weeks ago. That was amazing. Yeah, anytime. Maybe you should come back and we can do a podcast tour of the museum. Oh, that would be cool. We can definitely do that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you all so much. Uh, We'll see you next week. Thank you very much for listening. This is Beer Me on Full Service Radio, recording at the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Thanks for listening to this program on Full Service Radio, broadcasting and recording from the Line Hotel in Adams Morgan, Washington, D.C. Full Service Radio programming can be accessed live and archived on fullserviceradio.org. Our talk programming is available on most podcast apps like iTunes and Stitcher, and our DJ sets are available on mixcloud.com slash fullserviceradio. Full Service Radio features over 30 weekly shows and over 50 local hosts, covering every topic imaginable if you want to be a guest or get involved email us at info at fullserviceradio.org follow us on twitter at fullserviceRDO, on instagram and facebook at fullserviceradio thanks for listening